0: Great to see you guys this morning, like Pastor Patrick said so kindly. My name is Spencer. I do lead our student ministry here at South Suburban, and I am blessed, honored, and excited to be up here. So there's a lot going on in my heart right now, but I'm ready uh, to just help us figure out what does love mean, and we're going to get into that more. Um, It's just amazing how looking at a word can, can draw out so much in us. This word means so much in our culture, so much to us personally, has so many feelings and emotions attached to it. And my hope today is that we can align what that word means when we hear it with what Jesus Christ says it is. And so um, I can't do that without any help. And so even though we just prayed, I would like to pray again, and I'd ask you to join with me as we pray over this time. So, um, God, I just we give you this, we give you this time, uh, Lord, to speak. Um, and we pray for ears um, to be open, Lord, to hear you. And so, God, I just pray in this moment, Lord, that you'd be in this time, that your spirit would be in here to open uh, your word to us in a living fresh, and powerful way and all God's people said. So how many of you grew up in a household where love was not always the most positive word, right? It wasn't always used in the kindest way. What I mean by that, and you don't have to put your hand up, but uh, in my family when I grew up, I used to be difficult at times, right? And uh, I think that's true for probably all of us growing up. I used to keep my parents up late at night because I had an overactive imagination, and so I'd go into their room at 1130 at night after laying in bed for two hours, and I'd be like, guys, what is 100 times a 1, 1,000? I can't figure it out, and I'm thinking about it, and I don't know how many zeros there are, or just stuff that makes, and they're like, you're seven. Go to sleep. Like, read a comic book or something, and there were times when I would just antagonize my parents. I think all of us have done that, and I can't really think of why. There's too many reasons, but there were times when I pushed, you push the buttons, right? Kids like to test limits. You test the limits. How far can I push? And eventually, my mom would usually say something along these lines. she said, Spencer, I love you because I have to, but right now, I don't like you very much. <laughs> okay? Have any of you as parents, don't put your hand up, have you ever felt like saying that to your child? Okay? I don't want anyone to, it just depends on who you're sitting next to, but, uh, right, like, I don't know if my family's weird, but my point is that, like, love is, is sometimes not used in the best way, right? It's sometimes an obligatory word, or it's a it's a It's a hollow word. It, Sometimes we use it to describe foods, which may or may not agree with what Scripture says love means, depending on how much you really do love milkshakes, Spencer. But my point um, is that talking about love can, it can sometimes be very vague and sometimes very soft and kind of confusing. And my point today, my hope, is that we can drill down and, and realize that God has given us a very clear picture of what that word means. And there are so many things that try and tell us who is what is love. And I think... Um, that today we're going to look at something very concrete and specific. Because um, the the point is that, like, love matters. And I think that's why we're doing an entire series on it, right? It matters um, because we're called to it. Jesus says in Matthew 22, uh, verses 37 to 39, when, when someone asks him, what is the number one thing? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus says this. He says, well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and strength, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. His point is that love is your number one calling as a human being, that you and I are called to love God with everything we have and love our neighbor as ourselves. So if that's our number one calling, if that's our mission on earth, number one is to love, then I think it's important that we actually know what that means, and we actually look at what does that look like. How do we do that, right? Because if we miss the point on this, I think everything else will fall out of line. And, and I think the human heart knows that even though when we use love, all like I catch myself doing it in text, in every conversation I have, man, I love this book. I love this color. I love this food. I love this place, right? The Pacific Northwest is where I'm from. I love that place. But we all know, I think, deep in the human heart, when love is not really there, right, when it's used correctly or incorrectly, when it's hollow, when that word means It doesn't mean what it should when someone says it, but we know they don't really mean what love is. I think all of us are able to sense that because I think love is essential to what it means to be human. And so I want to try and take my stab at trying to figure out what that means today. So we're going to take another step in First Corinthians chapter 13 about what um, the scriptures are saying, what is love? And so I'm going to read what we've covered already and then read what we're going to look at today. So we're going to start First Corinthians Sorry, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 into 5. So love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And then verse 5, for this morning, it does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking. Who here uh, has ever played the game Monopoly? Anyone? Anyone remember playing that game? It's fun. It's the longest board game of all time, right? I mean, how many of us have had games that have stretched over multiple days? Um, it's still fun, and I've won one time. I've won one time, and I will cherish it and never play again. So, um, But board games aren't as popular as they used to be. I think most of us are at least familiar with Monopoly. And I think when I was thinking about this game, there's one card You can get sweet properties, but there's one card that is treasured above all other cards in this game. And it's the get-out-of-jail-free card. Okay? Get-out-of-jail-free card is amazing. If you're stuck in jail and you've missed eight turns in a row and you can't pay and you get that card, you are flying high. Okay? And the reason I bring that up is because while we take it from Monopoly, I think in life all of us have our own get-out-of-jail-free cards. For example, the phrase, I'm just saying. I know some people who treat the phrase, I'm just saying, like a get-out-of-jail-free card in conversations. They'll say something rude, or they'll gossip, or they'll be extremely critical of something, and then they'll say, well, I'm just saying, as if somehow that magic phrase just covers up the verbal trash pile they dropped on somebody. Okay? Or how about this? With all due respect, when you hear that phrase start a sentence, what are you guaranteed to hear next? Okay? Something disrespectful. Okay? Guaranteed. Or how about this one? No offense. No offense, but you look horrible today. Do you need to borrow my shampoo? Have you been sleeping? Okay. Basically, we just, well, as long as I say that, like you say something offensive, but I don't mean, no offense. I'm going to offend you, but it doesn't count because I said no offense. It's a get out of jail free card. Like, since when do we get away with being this cavalier about kind of throwing people under the bus, right? I mean, when, lo- when it says love does not dishonor others, that also can be translated, it does not act dishonorably or it doesn't act pretentio- pretentiously. But I think the idea is the same love does not lift itself up and put others down. Love does not lift itself up and put others down. And so when we hear that phrase, does not dishonor others, I know what a lot of you hear in your mind, because this is what came in my mind originally too. It's this love is nice. Be nice. Be a nice person. Love is nice. And the problem is that it doesn't say that. It says love does not dishonor others. It doesn't say love is nice. Jesus gives us a little bit more context for what this means in his famous sermon on the mount. And this comes from Matthew 5, verses 46 and 47. He says, if you, talking to us, if you love those who love you, What reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans, non-Jews, do that. What's Jesus getting at here? I think his point is that being nice isn't good enough. Because our human nature says you're nice to people who are nice to you. Right? I mean, if you're not sure about someone and, and your friend's trying to introduce you to someone or you meet someone new, our number one question most of the time is, are they nice, right? Hey, you should meet this guy, he's super nice, he's gonna help you out with this. Like that's our number one qualifier of someone. Are they nice? And the thing is, we'll be nice to you. Like we'll be nice to each other, but as soon as you're not nice to me, as soon as you cut me off in the parking lot, as soon as you take my grocery cart, as soon as you do something that's not nice, the gloves are off, okay? The gloves are off and it's, it's a free for all because you weren't nice to me, so game over, okay? And this is the deal. If you're taking notes this morning, that's because being nice is reciprocal, but honoring others is not. We live in a culture where niceness is really important, right? But we all know how shallow niceness can be, especially if you happen to be from the South. A pastor I follow once said that the phrase, bless your heart, which is a very nice thing to say, really means you're an idiot, okay? <laughs> It just does. Like, I'm sorry, but no one would say that, right? That would be unbelievably rude. But if you say, bless your heart, right? You tried so hard up there in that play. Bless her heart. She forgot her lines, okay? You're an idiot. That's what it means, okay? I don't say it, but I know some of us have. But the point is that we like being nice in person, right? That's what our culture says. Don't be rude. Be nice. But our culture also loves being critical, right? I mean, no one gets famous, or gets their own TV show because they're nice, right? We want to see drama. We want to see blood. We want to see someone get torn up on screen, right? And and social media has given us an avenue for our inward desire to tear people down and be incredibly critical, has given us a, a way to do that like we have never seen in public, right? Because you can hide behind a screen name and just tear people up, just tear people apart in a way that when um, there's, there's uh, bits on some of those late night TV shows where, they'll have, I think Jimmy Kimmel does it, where they'll have people yell at a poster of someone that they don't like, like a sports figure, and talk about how how horrible they are. They'll turn around, and then the real person's there, and they're always so embarrassed, right? They're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so honored to meet you. You're amazing. It's like, you were just telling me I'm the worst person ever booing me, right? But we're different in person, right? Because our culture says, be nice, But the thing is, we're not called to be nice. We're not called to be famous. We're not called to entertain people. We are called to build a kingdom around a way of life that lifts other people up. Because it's temporarily enjoyable, and I'll be honest with you, to tear someone down, especially if they deserve it, right? If they deserve it, and I tear you and put you in your place, I feel great for about 30 seconds, and then I don't feel so good anymore. Because that feeling's short-lived. Because at the end of the day, if you're taking notes, tearing others down Is fleeting, but building others up endures. God calls us to lead lives that honor others, even if they choose not to honor us back. That's challenging, is it not? I mean, even if we don't think that they deserve it, He asks us to honor others. Love does not dishonor others, whether that's in your marriage, in your workplace, with your boss, with your unpleasant in laws. Okay, I know a few of us have those. Love does not dishonor others but it instead lifts them up instead of ourselves. So if to this morning, if you've, if you've made the commitment to follow Jesus Christ, let's commit together to be the kind of people who stay away from the socially acceptable norms of tearing other people down and being critical and instead lead our families, lead our lives, lead our careers in such a way that people see something different in us, that we stay away from what we may not be judged for, but what God says, no, you have, I have something better for you than that. Now, this does not mean that you can't ever say anything harsh ever. You can't ever be negative. You can't ever be critical. Sometimes it has a place. And if you actually read the Gospels, Jesus actually wasn't nice to everyone he talked to, right? Like, some of those passages where he's talking to what's uncomfortable is people like me, people who are the religious leaders. He's pretty aggressive. He's pretty rude. He calls them some of the names that if we translated them into today's modern equivalent, like, our kids could not read them, okay? Like, Jesus is not always nice. And in fact, the, um, but the reason that he wasn't nice is because he, he went after people who were making others' lives difficult. He never elevated himself. He went after people who were making others' lives difficult, who were acting pretentiously, who were not acting in a loving way. But Jesus himself never elevated himself over other people, never put other people down. And there's a great passage I want to look at in Philippians chapter 2 um, that describes how Jesus lived his life while he was on earth. And I think that's going to tie our passage together today in both parts. So this is the same guy, Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians that we're looking at today. And he also wrote this letter to the church in the city of Philippi. And he says this in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others to death, even death on a cross. There's more to this passage that we're gonna come back to later. Um, but I want us to get our mind on the example that Jesus set for us on what love looks like. And the next thing that Paul says love is is this. He says love is not self-seeking. Now, I think I'd be hard-pressed if we did a poll in here to find anyone in this room who like viciously disagrees with this phrase, Right? I think most of us can say, yeah, that's a, probably an accurate statement of love. I don't think any one of us in here say, you know what, I really, I strongly disagree. On that little scale, you do surveys, strongly agree, strongly disagree. None of us are going to say, I strongly disagree that this is an accurate thing about love, right? I, I doubt that. But that's not really the point today. Pastor Bill Hybels, who leads a church in Chicago, he says this. He says there's, a, there's meaninglessness when it comes to general agreement. There are a vast number of things in scripture that I could read for us this morning that I think most of all of us in here would say, yeah, I generally agree with that. For example, Jesus' line, it's better to give than to receive. Like, I generally agree with that, of course. Or, you're blessed when all people, or when people speak all kinds of evil about you, for my name's sake, Jesus talking, for so they treated the prophets who were before you. Like, yeah, I can agree with that idea. That's probably true. But the problem is that general agreement is not what God's after. God's after belief. That's not what God is asking of you. God, the question is, he's not asking if you generally agree. He's asking whether you believe it by living it. If my wife isn't able to stand up here and truthfully say, Spencer is not self-seeking, then that means I don't really believe that because I'm not living it out all the way. So ask yourself right now. this, this, This passage is asking us right now, is this an accurate description of my life, not just my thoughts? When it comes to your time, when it comes to your attention, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your affections, your aspirations, is this true of your life, your actual life that you live day to day? And if not, and that's probably every single one of us in here, myself included, I think that's because deep down our real belief is this, if you're taking notes, if I don't look out for myself, who will? I think deep down if we were to go into those places that we don't really want to see and don't want to talk about We really believe deep down, if I don't look out for myself, who will, right? Because most of us, if we've been around long enough, we've been stepped on, we've been taken advantage of, we've been a loser, we've been on the wrong end of a deal, the wrong end of a relationship enough times that we'll be nice on the outside, we'll play nice, right? But inwardly, I am determined to pursue my own advancement, my own satisfaction, my own success, my own aspirations, and, dreams. and I'm not here to say that you need to be a doormat in life in order to be obedient to what God calls us to. Most of us have families who depend on us. The scriptures are not anti-money. They're not anti-success. But here's what they are. They're anti-selfish. And that hurts a little bit. They are anti-selfish. And here's the deal. No one's going to judge you or me for living this way because that's what we do, right? No one has to teach us to look out for number one, right? That is human nature. Day one, that is where we start Look out for number one. No one has to teach us that way. But the problem is that you may not be judged by other people for living that kind of life, but you're going to choke your soul out. Your soul will slowly shrivel and die if you are the number one thing in your life all the time. Behind all this talk and what love is today, I think the current behind all of it is this, is that we are to lead lives that elevate others instead of ourselves. I think that's really what the heart of what's going on here. And again, that sounds great until it starts to cost us something. And we talk often in church world about how um, God calls us to do things that, quote, don't make sense. Right? He says, oh, like, do this. It, It doesn't make sense, but you just have to have faith and do it. And I don't know that that's true. And here's why. If God really exists, if he created life itself, and then he said this is how it works and this is how you're supposed to do it, doesn't it make more sense To actually do things the way he says? Like, to me, that is not an illogical statement. And God made life, and he said, this is how life is to be lived. You are to love me with everything you have and love others more than yourself. That is how life works. This is a better way to live, because here's the truth. Even when it costs us something, even when we elevate other people in situations where that doesn't make sense, unless God exists, we still win. This is the beauty of living life God's way, is that we win too. I want to go back to that Philippians 2 passage and read the second half, because that first half we saw how Christ went down the ladder for us. He went down willingly. He humbled himself for our sake, and this is what the Father did for him. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I mean, do you see the incredible, dramatic reversal of events here? That Jesus, after getting lower, coming down farther than anyone else in human history, because of that action, the Father said, I'm going to exalt you back. I'm going to exalt you. You're not going to exalt yourself. And guys, this is the pattern of life that we are called to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's the promise that God makes for us. That is what real love looks like. When we choose to go against our nature, when we choose to go against what's easy, what's accepted, what's normal, the beauty of God is that he doesn't leave us there, right? And it may not happen immediately, it may not even happen in your lifetime, But we're promised through the example of Jesus that when we choose to be obedient to him and lay our lives down for other people, right, our father lifts us up. If you aren't looking out for yourself, who will? He will. When you pass up a promotion because of what it might do to your family life and everyone else says, what are you thinking, right, your father sees that and he honors that. When you take time at work to elevate the coworker you're competing with for a position, right, your father sees that and he honors that. When you choose to honor your spouse in public when things are not going well in private, your father sees that and honors that. And this same God, as we close this morning, who doesn't leave us hanging when it comes to trusting him, when it comes to laying ourselves down, he also doesn't leave us hanging and enabling us to actually do this stuff. Because if you've been alive for any time at all, right, you know that we can't just do this. Like, it sounds great, right? It sounds great right now in church, getting a lot of head nods, people taking notes. Like, we're fired up. Like, yeah, preach, man. But as soon as we hit the parking lot, (laughs) suddenly this isn't very easy. And on Monday morning tomorrow when you wake up and you're like, ah, I hate my life, this is going to feel impossible, right? When your kids are are late and you're late and there's traffic, suddenly things aren't quite so easy. Because the reality is that all of us who've tried to do this stuff – have fallen short, like over and over again. Some of us have gotten so frustrated because we've said, I want to do this, but I feel like I can't. Over and over again, I fall short. And, and, and that's because all of us have inherited this disease called sin that says you, your human nature is twisted and bent against what it was supposed to be. We were supposed to represent God in the world by bearing his image and being like him. And yet when we rebelled from him, our nature turned. And everything in us wants to do the opposite, right? So anytime we try and follow him, it's like climbing uphill. The deck is stacked against you. If you feel that way, it's because it's true. But that's not the end of the story, and that's why we gather, and that's the good news this morning, is that Jesus Christ has made a way for us. And and he's not just lived a life where we can look at it and be like, oh, that's what it looks like. That's helpful. He's actually made a purchase. He's paid the price for you and I to be free by giving his life up on the cross and making a way for us to overcome this sin nature by conquering it himself on our behalf. Jesus went where we couldn't and paid the price we couldn't so that we could walk in this, that we could live the life that we were supposed to, that we could restore what it means to be human. And not only that, but he's promised us that if we've given our life to him to believe in him, he sends his spirit down God himself to dwell within us, to give us the power to actually live this life we're called to, to enable us to do things that we could never do, to actually live this out and have someone someday say, that describes my life, that describes my wife's life, that describes my friend's life, that is true of me at the core of my being because of what he done, he has done in me to give us new hearts. And as we close this morning, that's kind of where I felt like the Lord took this message to me, was to say, you know what? I think that's really the issue. I really think that's the issue in my life and in our lives. It's not that we're lacking information. I think it's because we're in need of new hearts, if we're honest this morning. And I think that's something only he can do in us. Because I think the real obstacle that we face in living and loving like God does, it's not that we don't know how. It helps, right, to have a clearer picture of what to do. But I think the root motivation is that we're not really willing, deep down, My heart does not desire to lift others up at all costs. I don't want that. If I'm honest with myself all the time, like I should. I don't want what God wants. I don't desire the right things because my heart needs to be changed. And I think our hearts need more revival than our minds do this morning. So this morning as we close, I want to give us an opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I need a new heart. Whether you follow him for years or you're brand new to this, to say, Lord, I need a revival in my heart because I don't desire the right thing. I I want us to be able to walk out of here knowing that someday it's possible for us to want what God wants. That this passage that describes love, right, describes him as well, because he is love personified. And if my heart is not attracted to that above everything, above making money, above having a great career, above making it in life, making my name great instead of making his name great, I am not going to change. I might know what love is on a test, but I am not going to live differently. And that's the point, isn't it? So this morning, if that's you, I just want us to to bow our heads and close our eyes out of a sense of respect. And and this morning, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but um, I want us to take a little bit of a step of faith if we close our eyes and bow our heads right now in this moment um, before we pray. If that's you this morning and you feel like, you know what, I need a new heart, Lord, I need help, Um, would you take this step of faith and just say, yeah, I'm going to put my hand up and say, Lord, not for me, but for him to say, Lord, help me. Give me a new heart this morning. Give me me help. I don't don't love like I'm supposed to. I want to say a prayer. Would you pray this prayer with me this morning if that's you? And if if that's you, and if you've never encountered Jesus' love, this is the first time to pray this prayer with me. I encourage you. uh, Say, Jesus, I I need you. Lord, I need a new heart. I can't do this on my own anymore. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not good enough enough. My will is not strong enough. I need you in my heart, Lord. I need you in my life. I give it to you, Father. I give my desires to you. I give my affections to you. I give my hopes to you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd change me. Would you take me and use me and change me however you want, because I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of falling short over and over again. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, my prayer as we walk out of here this morning and as we get into a time of worship is that we'd be able to use our words to declare to him in worship, Lord, I need you. I need. We just sang that song, right? Lord, I need you. I didn't even tell him to do that. But um, to say, Lord, I'm not enough. And that's what he says this morning. Love is your number one calling, my number one calling in life. But you cannot do it on your own. You need him. We need him. So my prayer right now as we go into a time of worship is that we'd be able to declare that as a body in faith that he's actually gonna hear us and he's actually gonna change us, that we can be a kind of people who love like no one else does because he's given us the power. So let me pray for us one more time as we close. Father, we can't do it without you. And Lord, I pray more than that our minds would be made in alignment with you, Lord, that our hearts would be, would be put right. Father, that our hearts would be true, that they would be humble, that they would be like your son, Jesus, who set an amazing example for us in putting himself below where he belonged in order to make us come back up to be with him. Lord, help us be that kind of people. Help us want that. Help us want to love like no one else has ever loved. Help us want you over all things to love you above our life, Lord, we would lay ourselves down and let you lift us up. So Father, I just pray you'd anoint this time of worship and communion, Lord, that we would tangibly experience your spirit changing our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning is part of our response to what the Lord has spoken to us. We talked about this last week. One of the